On today's show, our special guests are Chef Jason Wilson and winemaker Chris Upchurch. Why? Better listen in. Lots of news from around town and beyond, and events galore to discuss from the calendar. It's all coming up next on the Seattle Dining Show. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Ethan Stoll Restaurants. Fresh ingredients. Let's the food do the talking. From house-made pasta to ribeye for two. Find them at www.ethanstollrestaurants.com. Hi, this is Harry Mills from Purple Cafe and Wine Bar. Welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to the April 2018 Seattle Dining Show, number 1804. I'm Connie Adams, Senior Editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, publisher of Seattle Dining. Well, hello, hello, hello. Ooh, back to the triple hello. Holy bleep a moly, folks. It's, a- it's April. It's April, and I think you're doing the triple play hello because it's baseball season. Has triple the, play. Has the bleep a moly risen from the dead now? Bleep a moly? Yeah. I do not know the bleep a moly. Well, if you eat too much bleep bleep a moly you have to have a bleepinectomy. Oh, that doesn't sound good. No, you don't want one of those. So. But, you know, it happens to us in the food industry because we eat so much bleep a moly. <laughs> I'm just really confused. It's, it's common with food media. So if you're ever thinking you want to be a food blogger or something, you don't want a bleepinectomy. I would say just take a bleeping moment and think about it. Hey, you know, we always talk about food because that's what we do and that's who we are. But today we're going to talk about food in a very specific area, south of the city, kind of right in a stadium called Safeco. Yeah. And uh, hamburgers and hot dogs, right? No, you are not talking Seattle's baseball stadium. (laughs) Get with it, mister. Um, Yeah, we went down, as every media person in the city did, and it's all over the city in all kinds of places, the, the new... Food coming to Safeco Field, which came yesterday, since yesterday was from when we're recording, was opening day. That was last week or or last month, depending on when you're listening to this show. Could be last year if you're listening in 2019. We're not (laughs) sure. Uh, So we wanted to talk about what we saw there and what we think about it. Um, We'll give a little history. I'll do that right now. This has been eight years since uh, Chef Ethan Stoll has been partnering with Centerplate, which is the hospitality a company that handles the stadium. They the food are, concessions. The food the concessions. Stadium. Yeah, they're actually out of Stamford, Connecticut, but they have a, a an executive chef in place at the stadium. They come out for these events. Um, we got to talk to the communications director, Paul Pettis. We talked to the guy who now is doing the food concessions on the Washington State Ferries. That's center plate now. So a lot of people we got to talk to, along with Ethan, who is always a pleasure to see, um, and so that's we, that's what we went down and saw. They're, they do a lot of uh, – one of the things they do is a partnership with a program called Juma, J-U-M-A. They hire high school kids and minority kids and give them jobs 
where they can learn communication, responsibility, accountability, mm-hmm. and then put money toward college. Oh, that's so good. They have they have hired, and I'm not honestly sure how many years this is, 550 kids. Um, 1.5 million has been made in wages, and something like $225,000 has gone toward college education for these kids. And everybody so, knows how to dance the Juma now. The Juma is a, a bleep a moly kind of thing. <laughs> I, I think, you know, you know one, you know the other. So, um, so lots of fun things going on there, but of course, we're going to focus on food. What do you have to say, Mr. Marin? Well, um, we got the menu here, some of the stuff that we ate. Should we just run through it? Yeah, um, and also, we we were able to try a lot of things, and, and it's a kind of a fraction of what's actually at the stadium. These are mostly the new items. Yeah, the, the new items. items. And even there were some other new items that weren't there, but this was mostly the new items. Well, I'll just, I'll just start with the first one here. Uh, I don't believe I ate the spicy chicken sandwich, did I you? I did. I did. And how was that? It was pretty good. And that was Ethan's recipe. Yeah, it's a dynamite. His, his uh, sauce recipe. Yeah, it's the, the dynamite chicken from Bramling Cross. Okay. Pretty tasty. Uh, the brisket I had, that was pretty good. I think you had some brisket. I did have some brisket. It was very good. Yeah, 12 hour roasted. Also, uh, uh, oh, this looks like it was actually Jack's signature no. mild spicy sauce. They're using his sauce from Jack's barbecue. Oh, but it's Ethan's recipe? Yeah, I don't believe the, the meat was from Jack's. Okay. Well, it says on there. Does, are you looking at it? Yeah, but it doesn't say where the meat's from. It just says brisket sandwich. No, it says right here Jack's barbecue. Well, yeah. So okay. all those items under there are from Jack's. Okay. Um, so Jack's Barbecue is there. Yeah. As you can tell from our scrambling about. And then they had some uh, smoked sausage, cheddar jalapeno beef smoked sausage, uh, cheddar jalapeno beef hush dog. Like a corn dog. Yeah, corn dog. I wasn't crazy about that one. You know, it didn't... Um, I didn't dislike it, but it also didn't taste much like jalapeno to me, which in my world is a better thing because I'm not crazy about too much jalapeno. But mm-hmm. uh, Let's see. There was the uh, buttermilk hush puppies. I did not have one of I those. I did not eat that because I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. And there was a Frito <laughs> pie. He'll eat bleep but I'll eat the bleep but I don't, don't go for the total carb thing. Um. Let's see. Yeah, there was a Frito pie. I think I took a bite. Yeah. I wasn't crazy about it. We're, we're kind of a little bit addicted to the Frito pie from Pecos Pit. Yeah, yeah. That's the good one. Uh, okay, then they had uh, Din Tai Fung, which I know you love. Yes. So uh, they had a spicy wonton. Which was very good. I liked that. Veggie bun. I did not eat the veggie bun. Pork bun. I had the pork bun. And I will say it, it was unfortunate for people tasting because they had all the food out there and then they did some speeches and things. And honestly, it wasn't overly done. The speeches didn't go on forever or anything. Mm-hmm. But they had some really great lighting on all the food yeah. so that people could take pictures. Yeah. Consequently, the buns were too dried out. It, oh. it wasn't as good as it would be if you went up and bought it and ate it. You know. Gotcha. So, um, But I did get to talk to the guy who owns the franchise on the Din Tai Fung here in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Seems like a nice guy. They really are excited about what they're doing and and uh, how they really work on people being able to put several dishes together to make a great meal. And they and there's 
a, a way to do that, a best way to kind of do that. So that's one of the things they do in the restaurant. So this is the one to seek out. It'll be on the main level near Section 105. You want to find the Sultan of Sandwich booth. Yeah. And they had three sandwiches that we tasted, a meatball sandwich, which was pretty good, uh, pork meatballs, uh, a Cubano sandwich, which, which, as I've said before, we've had them all in Seattle, mm-hmm. and that was the best Cubano sandwich I'd ever had in Seattle. And, you know, it was more like pulled pork, which I don't remember that on other sandwiches, being it's being so shredded kind of like that. Well, the, the way you make a Cubano is you, you do – you do shred the pulled it? pork, and then you put it on ham. Yeah, right. So, okay, maybe, so it is supposed to be pulled. Okay. Maybe it's more like pulled pork chunks. Yeah, this was more pulled, which was kind of easier to eat, and I think you got more flavor. I think maybe. you get more flavor, yeah, because yeah. it's more surrounding the meat. Yeah. And then uh, Reuben sandwich, which was real good. I did not have that. Real good Reuben. Corned beef, sauerkraut, Swiss cheese, Thousand Island. That's what you'd expect. Yeah. Stone ground mustard. Uh, from the Holy Smoke Barbecue, there was Longbone Beef Ribs. Which people seem to like. I'm not sure I have. Or was that the one they chunked up so it was just in the small cup? These are really big ribs. Yeah. Yeah. You only need to get like one or two of these ribs, and that may be what you'd get on an order, but, uh. I think it's a one rib per order, actually. Okay. But it's big. Yeah, it is Longbone. Uh, and then uh, from the Sound Seafood, there was a lobster roll. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I ate it. I did. Oh, wait. Uh, I did eat it. Yeah. It was fishy. Oh, was it fishy? I didn't get fishy from it. I got too much bread from it. Yeah, I got fishy on that. Um, and then everybody's going to want this for dessert. So the, here comes your seventh inning stretch. Uh, walk. You want to go find the on-deck donuts. I don't know where they'll be. Maybe they're going to be moving them around. House-made mini donuts and jumbo donut bites with selection of dipping sauces and toppings. So maybe it's a cart that rolls around. I don't know. No, I think there's an area called on-deck. Okay. Um, but yeah, they. I, I have to say I'm not, I don't usually eat that kind of food, but you know, I do kind of like I, I like the texture of the donuts, and then you get, like, raspberry and chocolate and some other things you can dip into. And yeah, kind of just want to hang around the cart and keep dipping in different uh, yeah. dippings. Yeah, hang around the cart. <laughs> hang away. around the cart till the team wins <laughs> in the ninth inning. Um, the Juma people I was talking about, their new thing, they, they're running the Cafe Vita coffee thing already, but they're, they're bringing bubble tea to the, to the games this yeah. year. Yeah. So and and also Safeco, I'm not sure in what universe it exists, but they have they said we have the largest selection of beers, international, domestic, local, and certainly local because they do a ton of craft. Huh. Um, Should have just called the Tap House Grill in for that. Yeah, but you know I'm wondering largest selection of what in the universe or uh, in well, South I can't Seattle? Believe it. I mean, or, they're not going to have 150 taps no. of beer there. So I'm not sure if they meant other stadiums or what that was about, but. Maybe we'll hear. Maybe from it's them. within a four-block radius. Yeah. The other new thing this year was keg wine from Chateau Saint Michel. Mm-hmm. So they've got their fourteen hands wines in kegs at at the stadium: Chardonnay, Cab- Cabernet, Sauvignon Blanc, and Rosé. Hmm. Can I make my own blend? Oh, I guess we'll talk about that later, yes, won't we? That's a we'll, we'll get that blend <laughs> talk in. One of the things that um, I know 
because it happens at every single stadium in the world, is that the food is expensive when you go to a stadium. Mm -hmm. This seems, some of this seems pretty pricey to me. Like the Din Tai Fung, for one bun, it's $9. Whoa. That seems really high to me. Especially since you know it costs them 25 cents to make it. Maybe, and I'm thinking when you go to dim sum, I can't speak for Din Tai Fung right now because I'm I'm not as familiar with their prices. But usually a, a pork bun, probably a little smaller than this, but it'll be. Th- you pay, you know, you get the three buns in at um, uh, dim sum, and it'll be like three or four dollars. Mm-hmm. So this is a bigger bun, but more than twice the cost. Seems high, and it again stadium stuff. Yeah. But the lobster roll, for instance, is twenty dollars. Ooh, for fishy lobster. Yeah. And a lot of bread, which, you know, I mean, the... Could have been a bad day for lobster. I don't know, but it was fishy yeah. to me. And and they've had the lobster roll before or a lobster sandwich like that before, and I didn't get fishy on that from previous years, and I liked it better than this year. So I'm not sure what they've changed, if they changed the bread and that's what I'm doing or what. I don't know. Hmm. But, so any, interesting, like the Cubano sandwich is 13 that doesn't seem completely out of range to me. No. I think if you go to like a Geo's or you go down to uh, Unbien or their yeah. other competitor, I think they're all about 13 bucks out yeah. in the street. Ethan's Spicy Chicken Sandwich is 12 I mean, you go out and get a decent sandwich, you're going to yeah. pay 12 or 13 bucks. So uh, that stuff doesn't seem completely out of range to me. Huh. So... All right. So where have we been eating? Yeah. Well, you went to Homegrown. Yeah. In fact, I'll have a story on Homegrown for you guys in the April, yes, the April issue of Seattle Dining. And I'm actually pretty impressed. In the past, they have talked a good game about being local and sustainable, and I'm, I think they were doing their best, and they're, and they're looking at footprint and how they move and distribute foods and stuff. So uh, the owner, Ben Friedman, one of the owners, uh, talks about that's kind of been their evolution is how as they grow to keep that in under control so they're not damaging the environment as they move food around. But I personally was never crazy about their food. Me neither. And now they've really gone. I mean, their pastrami is so good, and it's completely grass-fed all the way to the finish. The cows oh, really? are, yeah. Can I get that now? Yes, I had one. It was oh, delicious. I'm going to have to try that. It was delicious. It's kind of addicting, I have to say. And you know, because I looked on their menu the other day. I walked by the store. I was looking for somewhere to eat lunch, and mm-hmm. I walked in, and, I, and there was nothing on the menu that was noted that it was either organic or grass-fed or anything. Oh, no, the pastrami should be. I thought I saw that up well, there. I was looking up on the, the wall. Yeah, that, that's what I was looking at, too. Hmm. I'll have to look again. Yeah, do. And, and um, they have their own farm in Woodenville, mm-hmm. and they not only – it's it's certified organic, but it's also uh, no-till, which helps with soil erosion. Um, a whole bunch of things that they're doing right, and they rotate crops on it. They never have the whole, I think it's three acres or something That's in production. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're doing all that right. They hired a new executive chef who uh, is actually from this area but had gone to school and worked in New York at places like Gramercy Tavern and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, she... What what her charge is is to take trends and and what fine dining flavors are that people love and and make them craveable and healthy 
and do it for a lot of people instead of only at fine, fine dining restaurants. I wonder if she's going to latch on to the Diet Coke and kombucha. You know, we should run it by her because she probably doesn't know about that. But um, she's done a lot of changes. They've overhauled their menu. Um, sandwiches, there are a few, few less sandwiches, and they're doing more bowls. And they do a lot of bowls with quinoa and ancient grains. So you're not, they're gluten-free and not because they think everybody has to be gluten-free, but because it's just, you know, maybe it, better for you. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm I'm kind of impressed with them. I'm going to watch them and see what happens. Well, we'll look for your article in the April issue. Yes, please do. So then we went to Spokane, and uh, boy, we really ate out a lot in Spokane. Of course, we had to because we, we didn't have a kitchen with us. Yeah, so. Exactly. Um, Spencer's Steakhouse, mm-hmm. which was, excuse me, a total disappointment. Two thumbs down, big we, time. It's kind of our tradition to eat there. We've always enjoyed it. And it was uh, not the same this time. It appeared to me to be a total mirror image of corporate food manufacturing. Um, The beef wasn't grass-fed. It was all corn-fed. It didn't have much flavor. It was uh, pumped up with something that was, I don't know, it was just like these large cuts of meat that didn't have any flavor. Um, And, you know, I I got the uh, peppercorn sauce on the side. And I've had that there before, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, that's an, an obsession with me, peppercorn sauce. It almost had no flavor. Yeah, it was more like they were making food for the hospital so that they didn't freak anybody's taste buds out. Yeah, and you know, I can't even – there's a lot of chefs in Seattle, too, who's, who just are committed to corn-fed beef. They feel it tastes better, but, but this did not have good flavor or much flavor. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what they were doing. And we had breakfast at the Main Street Co-op, and on another day we had breakfast up at Huckleberry's up the oh, hill right. from downtown. Now that was worth it. Huckleberry's was the one. Uh, Main Street Co-op, not not so happening. We thought, you know, it, it's probably uh, irresponsible of us to just assume a co-op would be healthy. But they really had very few things for breakfast, and it was mostly sandwiches, which was a lot of bread. Yep. And what did they you got oh potatoes. Yours, oh my yours god! Was they just, just loaded my breakfast burrito full of potatoes. I mean, it was it took over everything, and of course, potatoes I had to pick aren't. it all apart to get to the protein. Yeah, and the, and that's not good for you because with no. the, all that potato just turns, you know, in your system. So um, we had a better dinner over at the Clinker Dagger, yeah, which has been there for decades. Oh yeah, beautiful view of the Spokane River, and the Spokane falls right falls. there. Yeah. yeah. Plus, there was a woman with her dog out playing in the little park below, so that oh, was yeah, that highly was entertaining. <laughs> but uh, probably the best meal we had was at Wild Sage. That was delicious. And so, if you're going to, if you have to be trapped in Spokane for one night, <laughs> you want to make your reservation at the Wild Sage. They had a lot of uh, kind of local ingredients, mm-hmm. organic stuff, well thought out, inventive, unique dishes. That weren't like crazy. Mm-hmm. I had a huckleberry cocktail, which was nice. yeah. So uh, that's the one. That's that's. Uh, yeah. I, I gotta say, that's the one that took it all away. I want to go back to the huckleberries, which is a grocery store where we had breakfast mm-hmm. one day. They had what looked like a salad bar for the in the breakfast, but it was like a yogurt bar. Yeah, organic uh, berries and, and organic oatmeal yogurt and organic yogurt and you could make your own parfait and it was it was quite good. Yeah, we liked that. And uh, some of the some of the yogurts they had were like flavored yogurts, 
But what they did was they used real, uh, you know, no no nonsense organic yogurt with no sugar or anything, in it, mm-hmm. and they just poured in some of the some of the uh, juice from some of the fruits. Yeah. So it's quite good. Quite good. Then I stopped at Floanna's Diner on Bothellway. This is another old, old place. I've been experimenting lately with places like this. And and it's kind of fun. It's a throwback, and it's kind of fun to go in. But honestly, it didn't smell quite right. And I got a burger, and it was uh, blue cheese with caramelized onion on it. That all tasted pretty good and gooey. And then I accidentally got a bite of burger only, and it did not taste very good. Mm-mm. Time to move on. Yeah, people were very friendly, um, so I, I'm sort of sad about that. But I, as I left, it was yet again later that I saw the okay oh, on it for the from food the health. Rating. Yeah, so that I thought, well, there's the smell for you. Mm-hmm. And they're not cleaning that up, so. So I don't, you know, if you're really in the middle mood for a throwback, I would maybe avoid the burgers. But a lot of people in uh, in uh, in the restaurant at noon were eating breakfast, so it may be a breakfast spot more than anything else. Hmm. I got to go to Zephyr, which is the new spot at the Embassy Suites Pioneer Square, brand new hotel, opened on March 28th. This is not a place for a full meal. It's small plates and snacks. Embassy Suites is a hotel; it's all sweets. But this is their flagship at the moment hotel, and they're up in their game. So they were beautiful suites. And this is, uh, they've got Chef Matt Heikla, who's been at Salish and Pan Pacific. So, so let's just get this straight. It's not Chef Zephyr Paquin. No. Okay. The, and it's not the same Zephyr that was down in Renton? No, that was um, Nick Messer and the guy who. Uh, Lincoln on his name. But that alone. was called Zephyr, right? Yes. Yeah. But so Zephyr, this is this is different in every way. Yes, completely. It's just it's just a little spot at the hotel. It's not huge. I think it's going to be packed all the time, but right down there by the stadiums and right next to the train station. So it's it's a cool space. I think it's going to be great to hang out and good. Okay, I'm skipping a couple of these and moving right to provisions out in Yakima. Yes. And uh, what I got to say about that is, yay! Yay! Yakima finally has a good restaurant. Yes. Very, very good place, run by two women there. Um, and the chef used to work in Seattle. She's worked with Chef Harry Mills at Purple. Oh, that's right. So she, you know, she's come up through the ranks, and she is doing a great job. Yeah. I'm sorry I don't have her card in front of me. I cannot remember her name at the moment. We met them. Yeah, you can go online and look up their yeah. website, Provisions Yakima. Yeah. Um, and uh, and there again, you know, if you're trapped for a night in Yakima, now you've got a place you could really get a decent yeah. meal at. And we heard that a place called Crafted, which is new and is downtown, it was very good too, a little on the pricey side. We did not do that this trip, but that's another one to check out if you happen to be over there. Well, you just contact our media contact and let us know if you need us to come over. <laughs> Tell us where we're staying and what time our reservation is for, and we'll (laughs) be there. We'll be there. All right. Uh, Well, uh, I guess I I skipped this one, but I teased it. I said something about blending. We did do some wine blending at Chateau Saint-Michel. It was a lot of fun. Uh, If you're looking for a team-building type of fun scenario, uh, you want to go on the Chateau Saint-Michel website and look at their blend session. Mm-hmm. Is that what they yeah, call it's called Blend. Okay. And if you don't see it on the website, call them up and ask them about it. It's quite a bit of fun and you get to take home the wine and it's it's what you blended. So of course it's going to be fantastic. Exactly. 
All right, let's take a little break, and when we come back, we got some news bites. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Queen Anne Olive Oil. Explore their huge selection of flavor-infused olive oils and balsamics. Mix and match to create some unique taste treats. Take a field trip soon to the top of Queen Anne and experience oils and vinegars in a whole new way. Find more information at QueenAnneOliveOil.com. Hi, this is Andre from Walla Walla, and when I travel to Seattle, I love to dine at Rock Creek in Fremont. This is Chef Isaac Hutchins from Marjorie, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Seattle Dining Show and Connie and Tom. We are looking at the News Bites information, what's happening. And we put this on our Twitter account, so you can always follow that at, at Seattle Dining One or go online to the magazine and read the News Bites column. So the first one we got is uh, Wildfin American Grill and Stack Burger are in expansion mode. And those are two different concepts by the same people. Okay. And has there ever been a Stack Burger around in the past, or is this brand new? This is new as of about a year ago. Uh, I, I mean, is there a store somewhere right now? Oh, yeah, down in Tacoma. Okay. That's where Tacoma. the first one opened. All right. So we got three more Stack Burgers on the way. Uh, the first one is going to be May 1st in Bothell. Um, so it's Stack Burger Bothell, not brothel. <laughs> uh, the second one is going to be Stack Burger Lakeland Village, which is at Lake Taps, but uh, probably not right on the lake, huh? I'm thinking that's not a floating restaurant. Uh, it's out there on the fun. We're in the strip would, malls or something. That would be a fun idea. And then uh, we've got uh, the last one, Stack Olympia, first of September. And we've got a wild fin coming to Vancouver, Washington, in the middle of August. So these guys are busy. They're busy. PCC is also busy. This is going to be a fun one. They are going to be the anchor store in the Rainier Square Tower. You know how if you go downtown right now and Fifth Avenue's all halfway closed off, there's one lane, it's a pain in the neck. Yeah, there's a big old hole in the ground. Yeah, that's going to be the new area, and PCC Organics is going to go in there. Ground floor, building to complete, be completed in mid-2020, so you're going to have to wait a while. There's going to be restaurants, offices, apartments, and a 12-story luxury hotel. The kitchen in the PCC will, as the other uh, locations do, will make scratch soup, salads, and other fare. They, don't, they haven't decided how many parking spaces in the underground garage will go to PCC. So that None. Could be, you don't need any. Well, Everybody's supposed to walk and take the bus and ride a bike. Exactly, and that's what they're hoping for. <laughs> and then just because they've got a lot going on, too. Their West Seattle store is closed for redevelopment. It's going to reopen in 2019. There's a Burien store scheduled to open in May 2018 wow. and in Ballard in 2019 and then Madison Valley in 2020. So they've got some big plans. Busy, busy. Yeah. Scooping up all that prime real estate so their competitors like Whole Foods can't move in. Good plan. All right. Uh, number three here. Dirty Couch Brewing is planning a tap room in Magnolia that will be open to the public and kid-friendly. Got yeah. that? Kid-friendly tap room, folks. Yeah. Hmm. 
James Beard noms came out, and this is probably old news at this point, but Eduardo Jordan is up as Best Chef Northwest, and uh, Nathan, not Nathan, sorry, um, Rachel Yang and Steve Churchy are also up for Best Chef Northwest. Eduardo's June Baby is also up for Best New Restaurant, so he's having a very good year. Canlis is up for Outstanding Restaurant. That's a restaurant open more than 10 years. And then Nathan Mirvold and Francisco Migoya are up for the book Modernist Bread. Hmm. Okay. And uh, is this the year that the uh, Hernandez uh, Tamale people are winning an award, too? Yeah. But you had to go to Yakima for that. So you have uh, Hernandez Tamales for lunch and then provisions (laughs) for dinner. There you go. And then you come back home as long as it's not snowing in the past. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Fire and Vine Hospitality, El Gaucho Hospitality team that includes Chef Jason Wilson are oh so busy. Uh, Eritage and Walla Walla is opening up in May. The Pike Place Restaurant construction starts in June. Walla Walla Steak Company and Crossbuck Brewing Coming this spring in the old train depot building. That's right when you pull into town when you jump off Highway 12. And uh, and then the El Gaucho Inn being rejuvenated with 17 mm. rooms. All 17 rooms are being redone. And that's – so like, almost all of this except for the Pike Place restaurant is happening in Walla Walla. Is that right? No, El Gaucho Inn Oh, no, in the Seattle. El Gaucho Inn is downtown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Hotel 1000, which is a Lowe's hotel, has a new executive chef, Benjamin Clausen. He'll be in charge of all the culinary operations, um, including the all-water seafood and oyster bar, which was what replaced Boca. And so there's Lowe's hotels. Are there Home Depot hotels <laughs> or Tractor Supply Company it's a, hotels? It's a do-it-yourself hotel, the Lowe's. Huh. Okay, uh, Fairmont Hotels, uh, formerly Home Depot, no, (laughs) Uh, Fairmont Hotels has opened an espresso bar and cafe in the hotel's lower lobby called 4th Avenue. Yeah, it took over a, it was like a little shop of some sort, and uh, they let that lease lapse and then took it over to make their own coffee shop. So this is in the Fairmont Olympic in Seattle, right? Right, right. H Mart is another grocery store, and that's opening, it's an Asian grocery store opening the third or fourth quarter of 2018 at 2nd and Pine downtown. So you can see that the theory is more and more people are living downtown and actually need grocery stores. Because PCC is going in, and, oh, interesting. 2nd and Pine. Oh, or 2nd and Pine. Yeah. Could get a little seedy. If you could see Tom's face right now, you'd see his little eyebrows are... I'm thinking it's seedy, thinking right? <laughs> it's probably the old adult theater. You don't know. Oh. It isn't. The lusty I, I'm just, lady. Yeah, I'm just joking. It's not. Something else is going in there. I had my own telephone number in that building. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, okay. And then the, la- the last one we got is... No, uh, you don't. You're on Sun Liquor. Oh, Sun Liquor. That's it. Uh, Sun Liquor 607 Summit Avenue is up for sale. So owners can concentrate on the wholesale side of their business. So get out there and buy that, buy that bar. And then the Uptown Hop House is hoping to open mid-May. This is Kirby Predmore, who was the owner of Cooper's Ale House for 16 years. He was looking to do another project of some sort and decided to bring beer to Lower Queen Anne. 
since uh, things are hopping a little more with the sports venues. Oh. We, he, and he knows he's going to have to hang out for a while before that all happens. And Cooper's was over on Lake City Way. Is that still there? Yeah. He sold it to somebody. Okay. Uh, this is going to be in a new building on the ground floor, and it's, the new building is the Vivid. We love these names, Vivid Apartments. And it'll be a 21 and over only spot. They're going to focus on IPAs. They will have a kitchen but no hood, and we know how that goes. So it's going to be pretty different than you'd think of pub food. You're not yeah. getting burgers and fries. Yeah. yeah. Huh. That's the scoop. All right. Let's take a little break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the calendar for April. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations. Hi, this is Laura from Bothell, and one of my favorite restaurants in the Winneville area is Purple Cafe. Hi, this is Linda from Antolin Cellars in Yakima. You are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Welcome back to the show with Connie and Tom. We've got new calendar items going up all the time, so check back at seattledining.com backslash calendar. But we're going to jump right in and tell you what we know right now. Well, it's uh, April, and uh, Easter falls on the first this year. Yeah. And if I was a good person, I got this show ready and up online the day before. <laughs> yeah. But uh, even long. if I wasn't, I'm not going to tell you where all the Easter brunches are. You're going to have to go online and look. And uh, you just do that at seattledining.com backslash calendar. Yeah. Then on Saturday, April 5th, there's a winemaker dinner with Brian Carter Sellers, which cannot be bad. And then it's at Steelhead Diner. So hello. Pretty good stuff. 6 p.m., $85 per person plus tax and grat. And they're doing rabbit terrine, Alaskan halibut with manila clams, grilled lamb, T-bone, black forest layer cake. All the details are on the calendar. Looks really good. What was that pie they used to make at Steelhead? That caviar pie? Yeah, caviar mm. pie. So uh, uh, Teresa from there uh, shot a picture of that up online the other day. So pretty. And everybody went nuts about it, and she didn't reply to anybody. So we don't know <laughs> if they're bringing it back or no, what. You know, I cannot speak for them, of course, but they bring it back occasionally mm. as a special. And I'll get the emails, and it'll be like, this weekend only, caviar pie is back, uh, you know, okay. until we run out. So, hmm. uh, also on Saturday, April first, we got a no fifth. Uh, April fifth. I'm sorry. We got a Thai cooking class at Casper's up in Magnolia, six p.m. It's going to be sixty-five dollars per person, five courses. You enjoy a glass of wine and then you eat what Casper has cooked. Yeah. So I guess he's just going to tell you. What yeah, he's going to gonna demo what he's doing, you know. And, okay. And also, they just got back from Thailand, so he's like overly uh, excited about everything he learned while he was there. Yeah. Yeah. So Tuesday, April eighth, Tavalada is. Hello, that can't be right. On Tuesday, they would not be their, doing their Sunday feast, so we're going to have to look that one up. Either Tuesday or Sunday. Yeah, there's well, a. Sunday feast. It's a Sunday, <laughs> but I don't know what the date is now. I, I don't know if I did Tuesday wrong or April, April 6th. 8th. April, April 6th would be the day. Okay, so that's 65 per person, and it's all about lamb. Lamb bruschetta, lamb roulette, lamb tartare, lamb meatball, lamb tongue, 
pasta with lamb ragu, ravioli with lamb brain. Clearly, no body left part, no body part left behind. Uh, and I'm going to guess since it's tavolata, we're probably talking American lamb, which would be preferred. Yeah, in my book. Yeah, but call first, and don't be disappointed. But there's no lamb in the dessert. If you have an aversion to um, New Zealand or Australian lamb, find out first. Yeah, find out first. And you don't think they make a lamb sorbet? Well, there may be a lamb sorbet. That might sorbet, be a nice is... little in-between, huh? <sighs> I'm getting those shakes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Saturday, April 12th, the Chef Executive Dinner Series at Lisa Dupar Catering. Going from 6.30 to 9.30, this is, whoa, $175 per person plus tax and grat. But listen to the idea. This is a cool idea. All right. I'm, I'm checking my 401k right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, executive. The guy who's coming is Mike Neal, who is a vice president at Microsoft. Okay, and he loves to cook. Yeah. Plus, he will match the ticket price and give to cancer research. Yeah. So just – I'm just making these numbers up, but if they got 10 people in there and it was $1,075, he would give $1,075. Okay. So that's kind of a cool thing. And it's a lot of food. Got a starter. You got pizza. You got oyster, ahi nachos, gazpacho. Ooh, can't wait to make gazpacho again. Uh, lobster and Dungeness crab, lemon risotto. That was all one dish. Uh, vanilla bean panna cotta, and beverages. Yeah, so. so check out the Lisa Dupar Catering website for all the details. Yeah. It's a, I think I put them all on the on our calendar too, or on sorry on yeah on our calendar so yeah. you can see that there. Sunday, April thirteenth, Mac and Jack's beer tasting cruise on Waterway Cruises happens from six thirty to nine thirty. You board at six thirty, it leaves at seven, and you're back at nine thirty. It's seventy dollars per person. You can get your own private table, four beers paired with a three-course dinner, and they've got a guided beer tasting with tasting notes, and needless to say, 21 and over. Then we've also got a little new addition. Daniel's on April 13th at 6 p.m. is doing a port dinner. It's a port celebration dinner. So it's $100 plus tax and grat. Uh, it's Honorato, who's a port expert at Ramos Pinto, and they're doing a celebration dinner, specially selected Ramos Pinto port paired with a multi-course gourmet dinner by Daniel's Broiler Lake Union, Chef Ann Barlas. So, sounds pretty tasty. Saturday, April 19th. I, I don't know if this is the name of the dinner or what, but it's uh, Bodegas Nexus and Bodegas Frontora in Toro. At the Harvest Vine at 6 p.m. What does that mean? I'm a little disappointed. I, I made sure that you got that one because I wanted to hear you say those words and you said them all right. <laughs> They're um, wines. They're ah, wines. okay. I don't know. My, my uh, This must be Spanish wines. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, so this is going to be $125 per person. Includes the food, the wine pairings, the tax, and the gratuity. Oh. Uh, five courses and you get dessert. So that seems like a reasonable price. Yeah. Sunday, April 20th, there's a Patton Valley winemaker dinner at Andaluca at 6.30 p.m., 110 plus tax and grat, complimentary valet parking. Winemaker co-owner Derek Einberger and national sales manager Mike Willison will be on hand. There was a picture of them, and they look like crazy people. They look like they'd be so fun. 
So, um, <laughs> and they just get more fun as the night goes on. I bet they will. So, and there's sustainable wines grown in the Willamette Valley. Reservations are required. Uh, this is one. Uh, this is this is the one you can take me to here. Uh, Sunday, April twentieth. History through the vines. The Leonetti Legacy at the Walter Clore Center, starting at six thirty p.m. This is $150 per person, and they're limited to 100 guests. There's a three-course dinner paired with Leonetti Wines in Hinserling Pork. Port. Port. Did I say pork? (laughs) Yes, you did say pork. (laughs) (laughs) Here the Figgins family tell their story in person. Interview led by Andy Perdue, the famous wine writer here in the Pacific Northwest. Tickets must be purchased in advance. And imagine this, it's 21 and over. Yeah, that would be a fun one to do. Then Sunday, April 27th, another Waterways Cruises. This is with Chateau Saint-Michel Tasting Cruise, 7 to 9.30. Four-course dinner with a wine expert sharing history of each wine and guiding through the tasting presentation. 85 per person, two-and-a-half-hour cruise, private table, four wines with dinner. Make those reservations now. So we got a couple interviews coming up. Exciting interviews. Um... The first one we're going to run is uh, with Chris Upchurch and Chef Jason Wilson. And then we have a follow-up Walla Walla interview we're going to run. With, with Ron Williams? With Ron Williams from Walla Walla, of course. Yes. So stick around. We'll be right back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Collections Cafe at Chihuly Garden and Glass at the Seattle Center. Enjoy Northwest Fair, craft beer, and Northwest wine surrounded by Dale Chihuly's eclectic collections. For more information, go to ChihulyGardenAndGlass.com. Hi, my name's Roland, and I'm from Austin, Texas. And when I'm in the Pacific Northwest, I like to go to the Culture Cheese Club and eat the hot mess with beer, cheese, and beer and pretzels. Hi, this is Andy Perdue with the Seattle Times, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Connie Adams, the turbocharger of the show. And um, we are graced with two very special people in our presence right now. Connie, go ahead and introduce our guest. All right. We have Chef Jason Wilson from the Lake House and Miller's Guild, and also now working with Fire and Vine Hospitality, and Chris Upchurch from DeLille Cellars and Upchurch Vineyards. So the reason you two are here today is that a while back, a year back to be exact, you did a charity auction. And who was this for? It was for the Children's. Children's Hospital? Yeah. And so you partnered together to do a year in the making, a dinner a year in the making. Mm -hmm. And that dinner is happening this month in April. So I wanted to have you guys on, talk about the history of it, what made you do this, why you were partnering on it. And just kind of go through the process and see what was happening. So how did this all start? What, did children's approach you or did you? Well, you know? sort, of, sort of started 
I sort of well, I've had these kind of dinners before in different cities mm, okay. um, with different people, and um, with Jason opening up the lake house it was a perfect opportunity to take probably our most creative chef in Seattle, mm-hmm. um, and we certainly have a lot of great chefs, but oh, yeah. Jason is probably our most creative chef, and, and take an opportunity not just to do a winemaker dinner. I mean. Jason and I both done a hundred thousand of those, and, and um, <laughs> so, but to do something special, to really do something where it takes a year. Now that doesn't mean we're working, you know, ten hours a day for a year. <laughs> you know, it just means that we're collaborating every week or so to do test stuff, and and mm-hmm. um, also at the same time, I was releasing a, a new wine or two from Upchurch Vineyard mm-hmm. that I thought this would be a. a a great uh, venue to uh, say, look, we're doing this amazing dinner, and um, let's release these wines at the same time too. So. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, we had this we had this venue at the lake house with a large eighteen um, person table in the kind of in the center of the restaurant, and we said this could be a place that we we do this. And then part of the affinity, I think, of Chris and I working together is just our. Our, our two characters coming together and enjoying the the creative the the whole process of of creation and mm-hmm. a lot of the questions we ask each other about our crafts are very very similar and so as we we've done this over the years with both winemaker dinners and in personal settings and we just said there's a good opportunity here to make something special mm-hmm. um, let's test drive it and and do it for the right reason yeah. so if we can raise money for children's then all the better. Yeah. So it's been a, yeah, it's been an ongoing process for the past, well, literally the past eleven months now. Um, and April obviously is the mm-hmm. year making, and uh, like you said earlier, it's you know we we're meeting every week, every other week. Um, sometimes it's been, you know, once a month during Christmas when we're both just going crazy, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> just going through ideas and and testing them and saying, well, can we push the envelope a little bit more here? Mm-hmm. How do we try something that tells a story from each one of us? Yeah. So, and both of you are doing some of the cooking, right? You, Chris, you've designed some of the pieces of this too. Well, let me make it clear <laughs> for everyone's sake I've got a million ideas I come in and Jason cleans it up and makes it work you know, <laughs> I, mean, you know I rely on his professionality and his experience for all that but I you know I do have a few I, I have the advantage of traveling all over the world and uh, I've probably been in 30 three-star Michelin restaurants and wow. so forth and so on. So I, I have that advantage, and I have some ideas. And, like, my latest trip was to uh, Peru and oh, to Lima, right. which is an incredible food uh, company. So naturally, I'm coming to Jason and say, God, I had this. <laughs> we I, have I, to I, do. Can we do this? And so, <laughs> you know, one of the dishes is, is centered around um, um, a dish I had at Central in, in Lima. And, oh, and wow. I just... You know, and he has the ability. I can come up with any idea and any ingredients, and he can say, "Yeah, that's we can cool. Do that. We can do that." And of course, Jason does his own traveling, and he's brought so many ideas that it's really going to be an exciting. Oh yeah, we're still working on. It. I mean, I think I think our biggest problem is stop. Okay, we got it. No more ideas. <laughs> we need to actually finalize something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been very cool like that. You know, Chris will come back with it. Hey, I had this cool experience in, at Central, and, and 
that we'll spend three hours going through that one dish and then Mm -hmm. why it's important in Peru and then how it can work with the wine and then which wine it can work with. And then that discussion leads to what is there an ingredient locally that we can use? Because if we can't really transpire, you know, we can transpose what happened in Peru to the Northwest. However, can we use an ingredient that's here locally? So Mm -hmm. that whole discussion then leans to, okay, now let's test this. And then, oh, crap that didn't work so <laughs> try it again and try it again and so it, it sounds it's like been my really... shake this morning <laughs> I, I ran out of kale and i substitute arugula oh no never do that <laughs> <laughs> it's spicy morning shake so See, yeah, that's the, that's enough. the thing with jason is that and uh, all good chefs like jason is that you know they can almost predict the future and it's it's not that they're you know, yeah. it's that they have the experience. So Jason will go, no, you can't do that with arugula. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, been and, there, and, and and he can do that with everything. Yeah, you know, and and good chefs can do that. Mm-hmm. They can say, you know, I guess to some extent in winemaking, you know, I got young guys coming up and said, well, let's try this, let's try that, and I said, well, you can try it. Yeah. But we're I, not going to be, but you know, <laughs> do something small because we're not going to do it. You know? <laughs> Because no one but you will drink it. <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> so where are you in the process? You're, you're not done. Obviously, you're still pretty, still working on stuff, or do you have the menu pretty much finalized? I think we're in the last round of testing with, you know, we, we found all the ingredients. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it can it, because of seasonality, it, it also plays into it. So mm-hmm. we had to make sure that everything can be lined up. Um, but then I think we're in the final round of testing with, techniques and and with dishes so i think we're f- finished with some things yeah you know yeah. you've tested them they work out great and uh and we still have to finish it up with a couple other things but the menu looks just awesome just awesome it really does oh, wow. i mean it's all over the world it's all different types of ingredients and it's just and i the idea is to make every course really special Mm -hmm. and that's tough that's why it takes a year because you know jason and i have a saying together that we say a lot don't forget about delicious (laughs) and that might sound weird but at the same time we've all had dishes that are pomegranate seaweed and and sea urchin (laughs) you know and 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 you taste and you go well that's interesting you know it's kind of like a date you know interesting (laughs) is a kiss of death right i'm not going back (laughs) (laughs) i had that pomegranate seaweed with the uh, banana grass-fed goose eggs one time (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty interesting It's, it's, it's like it's like she has a great personality, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to go back for a round. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, if you can just hit everything as being delicious, then you you know that's what we're all shooting for. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's it is something that gets forgotten sometimes. People get a little too creative. Yeah. And then it's like everybody's looking at the menu, going, "I don't really want anything here." <laughs> both both in wine and in chefs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we have that in. That's have that in common that mm-hmm. you, know, you know I know winemakers that oh yeah you know put a ton of oak or this or that yeah you know it just doesn't yeah it's just not sumptuous we won't we won't say who or where but we were doing a little tasting and it's one thing if you find a wine that you don't particularly like in a in a mm-hmm. tasting you know 
you're not going to like everything. But when every single wine is like, eh, I, I could do without. Yeah. It's like, that's a bad sign. You yeah, know? it's not good. And it could just be, you know, our palates or something, but it's, you know, for God's no, sakes, I mean, we'll drink anything. <laughs> <laughs> the, they're trying to force things on, you know, we have a habit in the wine industry of uh, trying to force our thoughts mm-hmm. on the fruit. And the fruit should be dictating to us. It's just like mm-hmm. resources and chefs. Mm-hmm. They they have to speak to you and you can say, God, I could do this with it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, Red Mountain Fruit is different from Yakima, different from Walla Walla. And, and you have to listen to what it, it's offering you. You have to listen mm-hmm. to what Mother Nature is giving you. And if you could do that, it's probably going to be pretty good. Because mm-hmm. these are great. We've developed great vineyards in washington state oh, uh, yeah. we're really starting to really make great fruit mm-hmm. and now it's just a setback see what you're doing use your experience to really enhance what mother nature gave you mm-hmm. i got a question so if if uh if he's talking about bringing in a wine and he tells you that he got the grapes out of yakima are you, is your head spinning going i i, I know what's going to go with the yakima grapes not not necessarily okay <clears throat> um because it's oftentimes that grape can be it will be different obviously than say a grape grown in Europe or in Oregon. However, um, what when Chris picks or decides to pick the grapes, um, how much how much fermentation, how much malolactic may have gotten been involved? Um, if we're talking about a white wine, I think that for me it's what has what little has been done and and when that that ingredient's been chosen. Um, it's really eventually the taste of the wine. The, now, if we get down to the, the, the next level, I think, of discussing how we're going to pair, then I go, okay, so where, where, where are these grapes from? So what can I identify as, say, spice characteristics or you know, the second, third layers of, of food descriptors where I can come in and go, okay, I'm going to marry spices in a sauce with what, where these grapes are from. That's when then I'll do it. But the initial dish is all about, for me anyways, it's about the wine and then about the... Um, uh, the grape about where you know what grape it is that we're working with first, but it doesn't get as intricate as saying, "Okay, we're going to do this one out of Yakima, and I'm going to do Brussels sprouts with it." And to 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 really complement it well, I'm going. I'm going to go to my supplier and say, "Get me Brussels sprouts from Yakima," because <laughs> <laughs> well, you want the same terroir, right? You you do. Well, I you think do. I think that may be where where winemaking comes into play because it, it's kind of difficult because not all Yakima wines, I mean, it's a big area, mm-hmm. not all Yakima wines are the same, but I think Jason's very familiar with DeLille and Upchurch Vineyard. Mm-hmm. And so I think that he knows the style that, that I make, that, you know, he, his restaurant's been very generous at carrying the wines over the years. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that, he has kind of an idea of you know where I where I'm at at ripeness or oak or stuff like that. He knows mm-hmm. I love balance and all that, so I think he, you know, can gear towards that pretty easily, mm-hmm. as opposed to this from this vineyard in Yakima or that it's that vineyard. Yeah. Now this is interesting to me too that you know you're you're releasing a couple new wines. You said at the same time mm-hmm. of the dinner, and you've got obviously other wines that you do from the Upchurch Vineyard, mm-hmm. but you're. Menu is from all over the world. So that's pretty interesting to me that our local Washington wine that you've made is going to pair well with all these 
international kind of things. Now, is that because you've used Northwest ingredients or, or yeah, because you've geared it that way on purpose, obviously? I think that's indicative of the ingredients that we were using. So, uh, you know, for instance, on the way over here, uh, Chris and I were talking about living in Asia. I had lived in Singapore for a couple of years, and um, the food I was cooking there was distinctively new American food, but using the ingredients in found there in Southeast Asia. Mm, Um, So we, we took that similar approach to what we're doing here and say, Chris was inspired by a trip to Peru and I was inspired by a trip to Iceland and, and these food things that we had had here. And then the interpretation comes out where we, we translate that or transpose that eventually into a dish using local ingredients. Mm -hmm. So rather than say a fish and, that's been caught in Peru, we, we bring that to okay. our locale. Um, and that that ingredient, so that, let's call it a clam or a, a halibut or a cod, if we're talking about seafood, that I ingredient... I thought you were going to do a Ballard Lutefisk. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when they guess right. I've, I've, <laughs> I've been known for my gefilte fish, though. <laughs> um, but so that ingredient will... in in. I think naturally will tell that story of where we are, mm-hmm. which then wraps back around to, to the telling wine. the story about where the wine is from okay. as well. So it, we we will incorporate not only the techniques but the inspiration of these dishes that have mm-hmm. been around. But it, it, for me, it, it also you also think about authenticity. Uh, it, to to be authentic is to respect a sense of place. It's largely why we can't get you know so a lot of people that I know from Texas and the southeast or mm-hmm. south. Um, Southern states are like, there's no good Mexican food here. And I'm like, that's right, because our climate is not conducive to Mexican food. Mm -hmm. It's the same way you wouldn't get, you know, smoked salmon that's great down in Mexico. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Same deal. Okay. I never think about that because I don't think we have very good barbecue here either. And that's maybe part of that. There's a couple of good places from my standpoint, but uh-huh. you're right. There's there's not a, a large barbecue culture because our our you know it's basically our climate is not really yeah. conducive to that. But it's really kind of like wine in the sense that you know we have French grapes, and all of our barrels are from France. Yeah. Um, uh, wine making techniques or all that didn't originate in Washington State. That's yeah. for sure. I make Bordeaux blend type of wines. But we're using Washington State grapes for sure. Mm-hmm. So, and we're very proud of those grapes, and they are different from French grapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's the same thing with Jason. Is that yeah? We're we're looking at Peru. Uh, we can give him an example of a dish. You want to give him an example of a dish? Yeah. So, you came back with photos of um, of a ceviche dish that was had in Peru, and. Um, they in Peru and, and all throughout Peru, but in this this culture of ceviche, they have a sauce called tiger's milk, and it's essentially like you know grandma's recipe handed down, handed down. Each chef has his own unique way of doing it. So we had to discover our unique way of doing okay. it before even getting there. But so Chris brings it back and says it was really cool, and this guy froze it table side, and and we. So we kind of ciphered, you know, what was central. it? Yeah. Was it uh, was it dry ice? Was it nitrogen? How was it done? And so uh, we do a lot of liquid nitrogen work downstairs at Civility and Unrest mm-hmm. at our speakeasy. So we collaborated with Joe, our our lead bartender there and, and bar manager, and he was like, Let, "Let's talk about how we did it." So we started testing multiple ways of doing it, and because we want to be able to do this table side, but we also want to do it safely. Yeah. So. 
Um, so that happened. And then it was like, well, Tiger's Milk classically has a fish stock in it. And so how are we going to extract this fish stock? Do we use halibut? Well, we can't really use halibut until it's in season, yeah. which was Monday. <laughs> so no testing. <laughs> so we, you know, we tested with cod. We had other, other fish that we played with that was local, but the best results have been with pressure cooking halibut. So that, mm. the test on that is moving really fast right now because it was all about one ingredient. Yeah. How do we get the best fish stock result? Wow. So we, and we used sturgeon um, on one of them, but it got really odd. So it just didn't work out correctly. It was the arugula of the fish world. Yeah, we also looked at uh, the gooey duck too. Didn't we? So yeah, and you know, I, here's me going way down the rabbit hole into the details. <laughs> um, so rather than using a fish, which is what Chris experienced, we're going to use gooey duck clam from Shelton from Taylor Shellfish Farms. And so you have this uh, this clam that is that taste of the ocean mm-hmm. um, is super clean and pure, and then this tiger's milk that's going to be super rich in in that umami type flavor mm-hmm. so using actually a little bit of kelp locally and seaweeds to to bring that that sauce together yeah. so yeah it's and it'll be frozen table side and it's, it's going to be oh, wow. really special it's, it's like like a ceviche snowflakes oh, wow. on top of the gooey duck i hope yeah. you're going to be taking a lot of pictures We'll have yeah. some camera folks there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No wonder this took a year or two to when you're talking about this kind of and that's, in-depth that's research. That's one dish. Yeah. And we've got exactly. like 13 courses or something. 13 courses. Five of, wow. cor- five of these courses have three different dishes on it. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah there are little bites and little surprises and little things that we'll walk around with. And then there's yeah. other things that are just dishes. So. Did you order up the extra silverware? <laughs> we we have actually <laughs> we have and uh, one of our partners at the lake house is working with ceramics right now and she's um, she's working on some surprises for this dinner as well so she's doing some hand hand done um, pieces just for this wow yeah that's so great we're spreading around to the family uh, Taya I think is going to do the the table oh yes. nice so she's going to give a Dutch kind of uh, you know tulip bulbs and yeah. stuff like that to and the Taya table. is your wife if people yes. don't know who are listening yeah, yeah. Taya is my the pretty Dutch girl at, at Delil Cellars she's, uh, <laughs> she's my wife and she's going to be um, doing the table side and I think that's exciting to bring that kind of yeah. northern European flair to that so yeah. it will be an international oh, yeah. dinner but it's going to be like I said the gooey duck just brings it right back to the northwest yeah. This is going to be like nothing else, actually. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, it it will be a lot of fun to be able to do this. And once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and hopefully we'll spawn off a couple of other little things like this, too. Um, Now, how much did did the auction item bring for children's? About 19 grand. That's incredible. Just Isn't that amazing? You guys should feel pretty good about yourselves. Well, you know, I always say that, you know, Jason and I have been doing pretty well. And, you know, if you don't give some back, you're kind of a jerk, you know? <laughs> and you don't want that out there. So. You, you keep reminding me, don't be a jerk. Do <laughs> don't be, don't do forget delicious together. and don't be a jerk. Just two yeah. things. <laughs> always, always be delicious. Always yeah. be delicious. And don't be a jerk. Yeah. If you could do that, you're all right, right? <laughs> well, thank you both for being here today. This has just been really great, and I'm excited for this. I'm going to love to hear about how it went. It's we'll share pleasure. some photos. Yeah. Great. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... 
Revolve True Food and Wine Bar in Bothell, where a passion for wellness, wonderful food, and good wine infuses everything they do. All menu items are free of gluten, grains, preservatives, trans fats, GMO, and soy. Enjoy wild seafood, organic farm-fresh eggs, and seasonal organic produce. Find them at RevolveFoodWine.com. Hi, my name is Bridget. I live in Madison Valley. One of my favorite places to eat is the surrogate hostess located at Aloha and 24th on Capitol Hill. The bacon is crisp, the cinnamon rolls are awesome and the coffee is always hot. Kind of like me. Hi, this is Amanda from Mount Townsend Creamery and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Connie Adams, the senior editor, and we have Ron Williams from Visit Walla Walla here with us again. Ron, so nice to have you here. Connie, thank you very much. Nice to see you, Tom. You too. One of the things you mentioned to me was sort of how Walla Walla hits these points and then mellows out and hits another point and mellows out. And I thought that was really interesting. So I'd like you to sort of share that with our listeners and then talk about where Walla Walla is right now. Yeah, thanks. I, I was thinking about how, uh, how, how Walla Walla has progressed over the, well, the years. I mean, it's been around for 100, we just celebrated 175 wow. years since the county was incorporated. So it's been around for a really long time. Yeah. And I don't go quite back that far. <laughs> 150, maybe. No, I, not. Can, I can talk to the last 10 years as long <laughs> as I've been there, uh, moving over there from Seattle. But, uh, but you see these sort of waves in the wine and culinary and mm-hmm. tourism industry. And I was thinking about how we had this first wave in the, in the, early, in the late 70s, early 80s, where you got those first five wineries, Leonetti and Waterbrook and La Cole and Woodward Canyon. Mm-hmm. They were there for a long time. And then the 90s came and there was a whole new rush of wineries that came in. So they kind of went from maybe 10 wineries up to about 30, 40 wineries with uh, Pepper Bridge and uh, um, uh, uh, Forgeron and this next wave. And then it sat there for a little while. And then when we were moving over there just in about 10 years ago, all of a sudden it jumped from 80 wineries to what we have today, which is somewhere between 140 and 150 wineries in the valley. Amazing, Amazing, right? And the thing that's that's kind of interesting about that is that we see this explosion in the growth of this industry. So it changes the character to some degree. It changes the makeup of who comes to Walla Walla, but it hasn't changed the size of the town. We're looking at like maybe half a percent of growth a year. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's not changing the population. It just, we get more visitors and tourism becomes more of a draw and the wine and culinary scene becomes more and more important. Well, you kind of have somewhere to park those mobile bottling trucks now, don't you? (laughs) We're getting more and more of them, right? We're starting to grab these traffic jams. No, we don't have any traffic in Walla Walla. That's the great, great joy. Yeah, that's why they had to rebuild the highway to get those mobile bikes. Exactly. And if you have to circle the block twice to get a parking spot downtown, you start to complain about traffic. Yeah. <laughs> this is terrible. I can't stand it. Uh, and it feels to me, it just feels to me that we're right on the edge of this next sort of sea change in the next layer coming in. I don't want to say change really because I don't think, I think it's just, we just add another layer. Yeah. 
And what we've got coming on now seems to be, as, as, as we look back in the last 10 years and, and we had the arrival of all these uh, young chefs who are, you know, really trying to cut their teeth on their own restaurants, but mm-hmm. they come out of, you know, Dahlia and, and Brasa and, uh, you know, working for Todd Douglas and, mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, uh, Todd English and Michael Eastman. And, and now we've got this, now they've, they've started their businesses are doing really well with mm-hmm. Saffron and Brasserie for White House Crawford and the Jim German bar that became Pasa Tempo and Walla Walla mm-hmm. and the Whoop'em Up Cafe. These restaurants have now really been established. And the next thing that's now coming in and following them seems to be lodging. Mm, which would make sense. Right. So in the next couple of years, and starting pretty soon, we have five new properties opening up. That's amazing. Yeah, and, looks like. and we're not talking Best Westerns nope. or... We're talking about boutique branded properties by people that we know. Mm-hmm. So the first one is uh, coming in May. It's Eritage, and it is a project that was started. It's a it's the love child of Justin Wiley. You have to know Justin Wiley. He is the owner winemaker of Vapiano. Mm-hmm. Justin's a Walla Walla boy. Grew up uh, doing rodeos and riding horses, and went uh-huh. off to uh, Gonzaga and spent a year in Italy, where he fell in love with wine. Mm came back and started his own winery and his vineyard and Vapiano has just done really well. And he owns the property, which is why he wanted to develop it, right? Yep. So Justin had this property about four miles out of town and planted a vineyard uh, about five years ago and was able to work through the EB-5 program to get investors and has this resort called Eritage that'll be opening in May. Uh, He partnered with uh, Fire and Vine. Which is Chad McKay and Jason Wilson. Exactly. Chad McKay and Jason Wilson from El Gaucho and Crush mm-hmm. and the new Lake House restaurant. So Jason is chef to cuisine and Chad McKay's uh, as the management company. This is a beautiful property. It'll have uh, 10 rooms and a lodge uh, in a main building and then another 10 cottages around a little lake. Uh, that sounds dreadful. Awful. Oh, my gosh. Beautiful. Don't don't go there. We, we'll yeah, just keep it to there. ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So that's slated <laughs> open in May. We're getting super excited about it. Everybody's ramping up, asking when, when, when. Yeah. And the official word is they'll be opening uh, first week of May. Wow. That's going to be great. Yeah. That is exciting. And I can't, you know, there's something about staying right at the vineyard. Right. That's just so wonderful. And we've had that opportunity for, you know, for many years with Abeja, the Inn at Abeja. Right. But they typically have a six-month waiting list to get yes. in. Yes, it's not a lot of, uh, not a lot no, of. No, they rooms. have five. They have five units. Yeah, yeah. And where was it? Walla Faces had a, uh, yeah, they're lodging both up up the hill at their, at their home, yep. and then yeah. down in town at their apartments. Yeah. Yep, and they sold the they sold the they sold the property out of town. And, oh, did they? And the property downtown. The property downtown has has been remodeled and it's open again. Oh Ooh. wow. Which takes us to a property that's actually right up the street from them. There is an old cinder block, 1950s, two-story motor hotel on the edge of Main Street, right downtown, at the edge of downtown, and Whitman College. And it was a Howard Johnson's for many years, and then purchased by the Red Lion. I think it was a travel lodge at one time. I think that's what it was when we stayed there. There is a travel lodge there as well. Next door. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but the Red Lion, uh, 
And they just announced last week out of the blue that it has been sold to a group out of Seattle in partnership with The Lark, which is a beautiful boutique hotel, 50s modern, mid-century modern hotel in Bozeman, Montana. They're closing it down for a year. They're going to refurbish it and reopen it as a boutique property. You know, the nice thing about this is it's not fly-by-nights or somebody saying, hey, I should open a motel. Right. You know, these are people who know what they're doing. Columbia Hospitality, which is a really reputable property, you Mm -hmm. know, management company and a hotel management company here in Seattle. And And they'll run that. They'll manage that. Yes. Okay. We've got a property called Penrose, which is in an old, which is slated to go into an old Oddfellows building, which was the Y, first it was the YMCA. And there was a pool in the basement. And old Walla Wallians will talk about going to the Y. It's right across the street, downtown from the Charles Smith Tasting Room. Okay. And this building has been closed and abandoned for as long as I've been in Walla Walla for those 10 years. And uh, this group has uh, purchased the building, and they're going to open the Penrose Hotel. And this is the same group of people who did the Arctic Club. Oh, okay. And it will also have a restaurant. They're not saying who yet. Okay. What are they going to do with the pool? Well, we were hoping they would open it. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. turn it into a club or something. So we don't know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So that's number three. And then uh, there's an old antique building, a, a, a historic building downtown. Uh, right on the corner of 2nd and Main Street, so right right up the street from the Marcus Whitman. That's the old Sterling Bank building. It's a 1885 building. Oh, wow. Beautiful Italianate Victorian building that is going to be uh, also lodging about 20 units. Wow. You know, the nice thing about this, too, I think, is that they're small, so you've got that intimacy, but because enough of them are going in, that you can have that, you're not going to get shut out all the time because right. there are options. Yep, yeah, but I'm nodding my head in agreement. With yeah, you. <laughs> it's like we are on. Yes. We're on the radio. You podcast. can't see me <laughs> nodding my head in agreement with you. We had a guest one time who said, "For those of you who are listening, I just did a high five. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we are, how we travel is different. We want to have those options, and so right. you know, there are a lot of uh, short-term rentals now. You can come over and rent a house mm-hmm. and bring the family, bring the dog. Uh, or you can stay in a really intimate, casual boutique property, mm-hmm. or you can stay in a full-service property. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's some, there's room for everything. There's room right. for the travel lodges. There's room for the boutiques. There's room for everything. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of needs out there, and everybody wants to travel in their own way. Exactly. And so, yeah. This is very exciting. I think Walla Walla is just uh, more and more reasons to come visit. Come and see us. Fly on over yeah. on Alaska Airlines and... Check your first case of wine for free. Yes. Uh, I like to drive over, too. It's a beautiful drive. Yeah. Except I don't know if I want to go around Union Gap right now, except maybe to get a tamale. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the lines are going to be out the door on that now that he's a James Beard winner. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes, so, absolutely. That's so funny. So, Ron, thank you so much for being, uh, being Connie, with us so again. Nice to see you this again. This was great. Thank you, Tom. All right. Thank you. And uh, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by B&E Meats and Seafood, your neighborhood butcher with four locations to serve you in Des Moines, Burien, Newcastle, and the top of Queen Anne Hill. Unique products, great meats, the freshest seafood, and a knowledgeable, friendly staff make shopping at B&E Meats and Seafood the best choice. Hi, this is Lisa. I'm from Walla Walla, and when I go to Seattle, I like to visit Matt's on the Market because of the beautiful view. Hello, this is Chef Wayne Johnson, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show.
in the home plate now. <laughs> it's baseball season. We've hit the end of the show, and we're going to have some tips and tricks to leave you with before we go. So you've got uh, some sort of tip here. I do. And what I wanted to talk about this is when you're traveling and you want to think about where you want to eat, because, of course, that's what I'm always thinking about, try to get some tips on local restaurants from locals. Sometimes I'll check out the Visitors Bureau, but honestly, no matter what you say, they're going to tell you everything is good because they're promoting they're the area. They're going to promote who's a, who's a member of the Visitor Bureau. Yeah, and they're going to you know say everything's great. And, and it could be. I'm not saying that they lie. But sometimes, like we, I had some information before we went on a recent trip, and then when we got there, I asked a local winemaker. And the place I was going to go, he kind of just shook his head and was like, Really, don't don't, don't do that. But here's what I'm thinking. And what he did was uh, send us to Provisions. Yep. And that's where we had that wonderful meal we mentioned earlier. We hadn't heard of it. And it wouldn't, it's up in the Terrace Heights area. So it's not like downtown or on the way really to the wines, wineries. So it's not, we really wouldn't have found it unless a local had told us about it. Mm -hmm. So I think. That's your best bet is to get that word of mouth from locals. Yeah, and you know, the winemaker, uh, that's a good tip too because that person has probably done several wine dinners around the city. Mm-hmm. And so they know what's going on and they know what's going on with the flavors and all that. Exactly. So, yeah, so, okay. Um, well, I got, a, I got a tip and it's a kitchen gadget tip. Mm. I think we talked about the Tavolo knife that I got. We did. And it had two holes in it, and I could strip thyme, and I could strip basil. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found a herb and kale stripper online for $5. Wow. And so I bought one for me, and I bought one for you. Thank you. And uh, it has numerous size holes in it, so you could strip your kale, you could strip your thyme, your basil, your dill. You could probably strip pot with it. I don't know. (laughs) You know, I don't know if you have... They call it an herb stripper. There you go. That's an herb. I don't know if you've ever stripped kale. Did you Have you ever gotten the fresh kale and then frozen? I have not. I got some kale from a friend who grows it in in her uh, yard. She's got quite a large area in the south end, and... I was so excited, and she just brought me all the the leaves, you know, and the kale stem stem is really tough, and you don't want that. Right. That took me forever to cut that up. So a a kale stripper would have been very handy. Yeah. So I'm really happy to hear about that. Yeah. And if you got a friend who's having a bachelor party, you could hire a kale stripper for that, too. (laughs) Healthy for you and yet fun. All right, it's time to wrap up. Thanks for joining us on the show. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. And we want you to uh, dine safe, dine well, and dine often. Because otherwise, you're going to starve to death. You're going to lose a lot of weight. You're going to starve to death. (laughs) See you next month. See you next month. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music, a Fremont icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests 
and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Dog House, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.